to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the unicorn blood of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who would just like a normal detention. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Doing well, sir. I'm doing quite well. I do not believe that you would ever want a detention, and I'm very curious if Spencer ever got a detention. Spencer, I don't you know? know what your answer is, but I never had a detention. <laughs> Really? I don't think I ever had a detention, that, no. That surprises me. <laughs> I am floored by this. Shock, shock and awe. BJ, same question. Um, I'm sure that I did. I, I, I mean, honestly, we had a teacher that we taught so often in the class that we had essentially a reverse detention. So if we were good, we got, like, time back. <laughs> um, and this was just, like, during lunch, so, like, it didn't stay late after school or whatever i think mostly because he didn't feel like staying late after school much more than we did but but yeah it was very much like uh the more you don't talk during class the more of your lunch that you get to have back what grade was this in bj oh probably like sixth or seventh no i think sixth (laughs) or seventh yeah okay I got no. you. I wasn't particularly talkative because, like, I'm not a particularly <laughs> socialized or sociable person, but... You're just Neville in this situation? I... You take that back. <laughs> Neville is the... Was fighting at, words. At some point, Neville, I assume, will do a heel turn, but, oh my god, Neville's the worst. <laughs> I He was trying. No, he, you know, he, we've already seen some progression. It's as much as he's capable of at this stage, but there's hope for the future. Uh, No, and BJ, as a demonstration of how friggin' Hermione I was growing up, uh, the one silver star that I got in kindergarten as compared to a gold star for a certain day, I put at the top of my bookshelf at age five as a notice to myself that I could do better, and it stayed there for like ten years. Oh, be on watch, Spencer. (laughs) That's really impressive. So for our listeners, I teased... Spencer about being Hermione when he didn't want to participate in some, let's say, I wouldn't say, even say nefarious, but entertaining things that we might have planned for, for New Year's. Um, and I am 100% the opposite. Um, my mom <laughs> likes to tell a story that, and I kind of revel in this too, because this just says a lot about me. For, I think it was in fourth grade, we had to do, we had spelling tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically we had to get our pretest signed by a parent, yep. um, or we got five points taken off of our te- like real test on Friday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire year I missed one word and I turned in my pretest once. And so I had a perfect 95%. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> This like this gave me anxiety hearing about it. Like, <laughs> what I, are you I doing? Think... This is such an easy thing to do in the world. Like low hanging fruit, BJ. Yeah. So I think at the time it it very much caused my mother anxiety and bothered her. But now it's just one of those things that that I think a little bit then and very much looking back, it's like, well, this is clearly who he is. And somewhat <laughs> at the time, it was just like he's getting hundred percent. 
every single test why don't you just like let him have it just like <laughs> this isn't like he's doing poorly and i need to know about it mm-hmm. um i will say that as i have alluded to on this podcast probably but certainly on our on our regular mangum reads podcast um I have recently got out of a PhD program that is was really quite loosey-goosey on when you got feedback and what form that took and mm-hmm. what you were meant to do with said feedback. And I have recently gotten a job in which I am I am still in the training period, but even as you go forward, you have discrete individual projects that go out to a client that that need to be of a certain standard. And so you get scored on each project how happy does this make you i am in my element (laughs) all i want is sort of legible feedback in the world Mm -hmm. that i am doing a good job it's great a couple of times a week i get a like letter grade that comes back via our online system and oh catnip i get i I get that little dopamine hit and it's great (laughs) It's delightful. Um, so I think I found my calling, and it is to be graded on things. It's one of those things for overachievers where they do feel a sense of loss when they go out into the real world, and they're no longer receiving, you know, letter or number grades associated with their achievement. Somehow you have avoided that loss. My compliments. Thank you. Spencer. Thank you. If you ever, ever want to be graded on the work that you do with a numerical score or letter grade, I will be happy to provide that that assistance, and 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 I I feel like your initial reaction is I'm going to start failing you, and and that would be completely foolish. I will really no. take you know a look at your work and and do my best to assign you an appropriate no, grade. No, if you you no, of course you would not just send me a, a quick little failing grade. That would n- no way give you the full amusement that you would have from providing detailed, extensive line by line assessment of me as a person. A Montessori and, narrative feedback. I went through that kind of administrative hazing in law school. I don't want to repeat it, particularly from you. You would rival <laughs> my worst law school professors, I'm sure. I'm sure that a lot of the work that you do would be very complimentary. I thought you were going to say competent, PJ. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting a full meets expectations kind of thing. Well, um, I'd have to have a survey before I can tell you whether it meets expectations. Anyway, but so on to like the, the meeting and failing expectations podcast that we're supposed to be doing. Yes. <laughs> this week we are on chapter 15 of Harry Potter and the either Sorcerer's or Philosopher's Stone, depending on which version you are reading, uh, which is entitled The Forbidden Forest. And we have a number of segments that we do here today. I have a rapid fire recap that I do and then we get wordplay um and interesting terms and maybe news that BJ has it's a little (laughs) bit of a rotating segment that we have going on there um and then we get newbies notes from Spencer uh I award house points based on the winners and losers of any given chapter and then uh Spencer and BJ bug me with questions that I answer or dodge as is appropriate Anything else we're doing today? I think we have a plan. Well, I do have a question. Okay. Sometimes you have a drink. Yes. Um, I do have a drink. It is for... (laughs) This drink was specifically made for a podcast that we are recording after this that will be released at a very different period in time than this 
podcast will be released. However, um, because of my misunderstanding of what ingredients I was supposed to buy for said drinks, the result was very Harry Potter-esque. Much more potion-like than... uh... Yes, and and really intended. in line with the Slytherin colors, one might say. Um, so it is, it is, and I will talk about this on the other podcast that you can listen to at a different period in time. But it was, <laughs> it is called a Whistling Dixie drink, um, which is not at all what the drink looks like in the way that I have created it here. <laughs> maybe um, Slytherin Dixie. Maybe Sly- yes, Slytherin Dixie. I like that. I like that a lot. And there is there there are potentially similar racial. Um, undertones to each of them. Uh, But this is a violently green color uh, that is mostly due to the creme de menthe that went in there. Um, But it is a scotch, which is actually also Harry Potter appropriate, given that Harry Potter is in, uh, or that Hogwarts is in Scotland. Um, It is a scotch, a little bit of uh, triple sec, some creme de menthe that was supposed to be the <laughs> that was supposed to be the clear white creme de menthe and was instead the green <laughs> creme de menthe <laughs> and a dash of bitters and it is beautiful and kind of gross so <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like both slytherin and uh dixie yes so more appropriate than i really anticipated <laughs> And uh, I'm going to call for the uh, picture that you sent to be posted as well, because the various things that were around the drink just added oh, to the Harry Potter experience. Yes. I what s- appears- <laughs> Go ahead, Spencer. I'm sorry. I mean, it looks like there's an owl. There was a candle entitled Midnight Woods. There was a vaguely wizard figure holding a book with a pentagram. There's just, there's a lot to unpack here. Yes, I was going to so- <laughs> ask if uh, the Malcolm Gladwell was really pinging your, your Harry Potter senses. <laughs> The Malcolm Gladwell just happened to be there. Um, although I will say, can I give just a brief shout out to something else that was important to my life at one point? Of course. Please. So I was for several years the editor-in-chief of a literary journal called the Carolina Quarterly, which is put out by um, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Their grad students run it. We have It is the longest running literary journal in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And um, I was the editor-in-chief for for quite a while. When I graduated, I gave up that title and all of the responsibility associated with that, which particularly includes uh, trying to fund it. But this is the the first issue that I was not directly involved with came out this past week. And it is in the picture of my drink. And it is a delightful, um, it's a delightful issue the journal is taking a slightly different direction under its new editorship with Kylan Rice. And I really encourage people to check it out and subscribe or visit the website at thecarolinaquarterly.com. Um, they are doing some really, really interesting stuff. And this is a, an exceptional issue that I was very excited to be able to read without having to do any work on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was there any profe- was there any professional pride at play when you're seeing the changes they're making to what was your baby for so long? Listen, I had I had thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought That's a loaded I, way to put that. <laughs> no, I think it's great. Um, and I think I the the direction they're taking the journal is is really interesting and engaging. Um, there is a podcast called CQ Speaks that is related to the journal as well. 
uh, which I started and has now been taken over by other people. And so I encourage people to go check out all of that. It's a really rich sort of, it's really rich fodder for um, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, reviews, art, all of that kind of stuff. So I don't know if this is the right venue to plug it, but I'm going to right now. It's cool. our show. We can do what we want. It's also become very apparent that Mangum Reads, the proper show, is now contaminating Pottering Around because we are now 13 and a half minutes in and we've currently gotten to the title. All right, let's chapter. do it. No, let's do it. I have I have a um, a recap that I'm hoping to do in two minutes. Bullshit. If you, if you all don't interrupt me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish you the best of luck. This is a heck of a meaty chapter. If you can do this in two minutes, I will be legitimately impressed. Can I give maybe 30 seconds of context from where we ended the last of chapter course. before I go into said recap? So we are 75% in. Nothing happened in the last chapter. <laughs> nothing and... happened in the last chapter. <laughs> um, nothing happened in the last chapter except that our, our some, of, some of our fearsome heroes were caught uh, sneaking out of their dorms to drop off a dragon at As the tallest tower. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and at they midnight. got caught. And that was sort of the end of the chapter, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are we ready? Uh, timer is set. Perfect. At your pleasure. So Harry and Hermione are waiting for McGonagall only to find out that Neville got caught too, trying to warn Harry about Malfoy's plan. McGonagall is furious, but she does have kind of the wrong end of the stick and offers up an explanation that really hurts Neville's feelings, but Harry can't deny it without letting it be known that Hagrid actually had a dragon. Um, so detentions are given out all around and 50 points each are taken away. It's a disaster. Oh. The Gryffindor hourglass is decimated. Harry is a scourge in the house. Harry runs across Quirrell talking to maybe himself uh, before Harry decides that Snape must have been there and gotten Quirrell's enchantment from him. And then it's time for the detentions. They, Harry, Hermione, Neville, and Malfoy, leave and are escorted by Filch, who is nothing short of gleeful, down to Hagrid's hut, which gives Harry and Hermione a sort of glimmer of hope because it's Hagrid. Uh, which is quickly dashed when they're told they're going into the Forbidden Forest at, like, midnight. Malfoy has a conniption fit, but Hagrid lays down the law because something has been killing unicorns and he needs to know what it is. So Malfoy, Neville, and Fang go one direction and Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid go the other to follow the blood trails. Hagrid catches a glimpse of something moving through the forest that shouldn't be there, but then Ronan and Bane the centaurs appear to chat with Hagrid and are suitably vague in the process. After they leave, red sparks are spotted from the other group, which means trouble. Turns out Malfoy is an asshole and jumped Neville. Giant commotion, groups get switched around, and Harry, Malfoy, and Fang set off. As they walk, they actually see a wounded unicorn with something standing over it drinking its blood. The figure seems, or the figure sees them and starts towards Harry. Searing scar pain ensues, but before the cloaked enigma can get there, Ferenz comes to the rescue, who is another centaur, and Bane is super pissed that he let Harry ride on his back to get him out of there. Ferenz explains the significance of unicorn blood and what they just saw. Harry figures out that the Philosopher's Stone gives a permanent version of the extended life, um, and that must mean that Voldemort wants it. They return <gasps> to the castle and engage in some theorizing with Ron. As dawn breaks, Harry finds that his invisibility cloak has been returned just in case. 2.15, uh, close enough. That was a effective recap of what is probably one of the densest chapters we've done yet. Yeah, that was a rough one, guys. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm sort of amused by, like, there's tons of plot in this chapter, but none of it makes sense. <laughs> Not yet, maybe. <laughs> 
I'm sure. So you say not yet, maybe. Were you good, Spencer? And did you stop reading at the end of this chapter? This is one of the advantages of Kindle. When I reach the last chapter, I can just close the damn thing or even turn it off. I have not read a single page ahead other than while on air, I read the first two pages of this chapter to you guys. While while you guys are talking in the background. That's the only time I've read ahead at all so far. I'm impressed. Um, so honestly, like, again, I feel like when there are chapters that have what, um, what we'll term as plot, like the (coughs) wordplay is, is not as evident. Um, and I feel like it really honestly feels like this is sort of done in two voices. Um, Mm -hmm. and if I didn't know better, like I would say this is a collaboration because these chapters feel so different than the early chapters in terms of the wordplay, in terms of what's going on, in terms of like how, um, British they feel. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that that's actually really fair, BJ. And I think that that in, in a lot of ways continues on throughout the books in terms of what the pacing feels like and Um, what is done in different parts of the book. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like there is a, a, as we sort of mentioned, an element of Discworld, sort of that sort of feel in in some of the chapters. And then these chapters feel more uh, very well within the fantasy bailiwick, like not mm-hmm. not in the humorous side of things, mm-hmm. um, which, which I find interesting. Um, I also kind of find it funny that you didn't call him Firenze, but that's just uh, my He's looking up British, things. damn it. <laughs> to, yeah, and, 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 and in Britain, they refuse to pronounce things correctly, like mm. uh, Genoise Sponge and things like that. Um, I may have been watching British Baking Show and get angry at it. So <laughs> Also, Spencer, um, I think Mangum Talks TV should tackle British Baking Show next. Oh God! <laughs> I, I'm just amazed the sheer number of people I have I know that watch that show and just swear it is the best thing ever. I feel almost obliged to check it out at this point. You should. Literally, that is the same rhetoric you you used about Harry Potter. Yeah, pretty much. It's almost <laughs> the same people too. Maybe there's an association. Maybe. Um, anyway, so the the couple of things that I found funny is I don't know if. Um, J.K. Rowling was a wrestler fan, or there was some <laughs> other Triple H thing that was going in. Um, but Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid being one of the harried groups in the forest um, was sort of an interesting choice, if not for for that reason. Um, I also thought it, it was really funny, um, this whole stargazers as a literally gazing at the stars and being completely useless as mm-hmm. the thing that um, the these centaurs are are doing in the chapter, um, and the being difficult is willful, um, which we sort of get towards the end. Um, I also mm-hmm. found kind of funny, and I was sort of hoping that something with Ronin um, would be or Bane be useful in this um, in terms of like making some play on, on stargazing or, or anything else. And, and I just couldn't come up with anything. So I'm a little disappointed. Um, I feel like Irish is, is such a malleable language that you could literally have named the centaur anything and had it be somewhere resembling, you know, stargazing or something like that, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't. Um, So, so yeah. Um, but but I do appreciate pretty much all of the chapter titles do have some alliteration. 
Um, and so here we had the Forbidden Forest for chapter 15. Um, so, so yeah, entertained. <laughs> Spencer, what do you have on Newbie's Notes? Uh, too damn much. I have two <laughs> pages of my Memento-style notes just for this chapter, okay. which is so far and away more than anything we've done before. So I'm going to focus on a few of them now and maybe save a few for questions, because I have got questions after this chapter. Perfect. Mm -hmm. but, Take the ones that don't have question marks after them and give them to us. You know, I rely on you for these kind of judgments, but yeah, that will save a lot of time. Uh, point number one... Uh, McGonagall's line that she has never been more ashamed of Gryffindor students strikes me as really weird given the nature of the crime committed with respect to uh, Harry, Hermione, and Neville. Best as I can tell, the only thing she's really accusing them of is breaking curfew. Uh, there's an element of maybe they played a trick on fellow classmates and got them in trouble, but that's not what she actually seems to be objecting about. She's literally saying, four students out after, out after midnight in the tallest tower, I've never seen worse. Either she's just... Either this is true, and this puts a whole new perspective on the level of student discipline at Hogwarts, particularly given what we know about Ron's brothers and how much trouble they've seemingly got in. I would have assumed they've done worse than break curfew in the past. Or McGonagall's just in one hell of a mood. Or maybe there's more an element that she's particularly pissed that these students may, by her interpretation, have tricked others to punishment as well. But her well, reaction here is... Hmm? Well, Hagrid's definitely out going to do something this evening, so she could just be in a mood. It could be in a mood. Uh -huh. uh, but either way, we see very clearly here just what level of arbitrary power the professors have with respect to these points. That she can throw down a 50-point each punishment, which apparently Ron, with all of his background on Hogwarts and all of the things his brothers have done, has never even heard of before as an option, just shows that a professor on a whim can just tank a house. And that's interesting. Um, and the fact that this she tanked her own house. Hmm? Yeah, and it, it's almost like she was punishing them harder because they were Gryffindors. I think that's because fair. Yep. she was demanding a certain level of... She has a certain expectation for members of her own house, and so punished them more severely for it. And I can understand that to a certain degree, but if so, she's the only professor maintaining that level of honor and discipline, and that could explain why Slytherin keeps winning every year. Um, goblin Rebellions. That was a fascinating offhand line. It, it's just dropped when they're recounting the things that they're studying for their exams, that goblin rebellions are apparently a thing. But this just puts in mind all the various little in-jokes you guys have been making about house elves being basically enslaved, and just adds to my mind how many of the other intelligent fantasy races in this world are existing in a state of servitude, slavery, or outright oppression. So, yeah, we'll follow up on that one later. Yes, we will. Quarrel. Uh, uh, Again... Harry's biases against Snape lead him to, in my mind, misjudge pretty much every situation when it comes to our Professor of the Dark Arts. He was having a conversation in a room, by all accounts, alone, talking with himself, in a way that he was being browbeaten, possibly by himself. This strikes me as funny. This raises more questions. And I, every time I've got this guy in a chapter, I have more questions and appear to be going in directions of conclusions that Harry is just nowhere even in the same realm of. As said, his biases against Snape seem to be continually to lead him down dark paths. These uh, it conclusions was shall not be named. <laughs> it, it, um, it was fun to have Hermione directly drop the idea of, why don't we just go tell the adult what's happening? Because that <laughs> is a concept that I really always wonder why doesn't it come up more in stories. Uh, Harry has a response to it, and it's a good enough response that we know things we're not allowed to know, 
and we will have to reveal that and how we know them as part of conveying this information, and they probably won't believe us anyway. And I buy that for anybody other than the person Hermione recommended them telling, Dumbledore. From what I know of Dumbledore so far, he does not give much of a crap about various rules of procedure, or even enforcing the rules. He seems like an easygoing guy that wants to support students and listen to them and, you know, spend time with them in a way that most professors aren't, but without the same barriers. And if I'm right that he's the one that keeps, you know, providing this cloak of invisibility, including returning it in this chapter, he definitely seems like the guy you want to just, the guy who will actually listen to you on equal terms without judgment, without punishment attached to it, if he feels it's important or just feels you need to tell him that. So I don't think Harry's concerns with telling Dumbledore's is well-founded, as compared to, say, if they were going to McGonagall. McGonagall, based on this chapter, would punish them just by, you know, like, sentence two of their explanation. <laughs> so, Spencer, I'm going to check... I'm going to try and remember to check back with you, but I want to know how you feel about many plot points with the presumption that Dumbledore knows what's going on. I'm working under the assumption that Dumbledore knows a lot and maybe sort of, based on what one of the characters says offhand in this chapter, has a lot of other agents in the field. Um, but we'll get back to that as time comes. Uh, the Dark Forest. Uh, can I volunteer to go into the Dark Forest the next time they're going? Because it sounds awesome. You want to do well, like they're, they're going to be... <laughs> they're going to well, be going no. for a different reason in book two, Spencer. And I will check back with you on your response to the Forbidden Forest then. You know, I've got a Hermione-style fear of in any way ever having a professor think even slightly less of me, but the idea of going to the Dark Forest and seeing all the things that they just describe are there sounds like a hell of a blast. Sign me up for tours, so long as I'm on the Hagrid rather than the, the uh, Boarhound team. Also, can I, can I interject here with the same, I guess, sort of underlying sentiment, but different conclusion for that? Like, Malfoy mm -hmm. was weirdly right in this chapter. Mm-hmm. Students are not supposed to go into the Forbidden Forest. Mm -hmm. It is a problem that a prescribed punishment by the university is sending them into the Forbidden Forest. Especially yeah. overnight. Like, this is fucked up. This I feel, is fucked up? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I feel like the part of the issue is a how Hagrid goes about this plan, but... Oh, I splitting mean, people up with a... Boarhound that is terrified of everything. Well, that and who he has go with the boarhound. I feel, so yes. I feel like if it were Hagrid, Malfoy, and Neville, rather than Hagrid, Hermione, and Harry, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have the alliteration, but you would have a functional search team. Mm. Sure. It, it's, it does strike me as funny. It's actually one of my next notes as to what the idea for this punishment was. Because, man, I almost have to believe that Hagrid just said, eh, you give them to me, I'll do something, and didn't provide further detail about what his plans <laughs> were for the night. Because a lot of this does not make sense unless this is just Hagrid being Hagrid and not thinking things through. But get there in just a second. For one thing about Hagrid, it's interesting to see in this chapter just how goddamn broad this guy's authority is. We knew he was the groundskeeper, the keeper of keys at the school. Now, apparently, we're also determining that he is the kind of like a ranger or game warden with respect to the entire Forbidden Forest. This is a lot of authority this guy has, and based on the amount of interaction of, he apparently has with the centaurs that he knows them all by name and sight, he spends a lot of time in this seemingly highly dangerous forest, along with his regular duties to care for the university. So, 
As this I said, busy. I think in a in a previous episode, Spencer Hagrid is a Republican conservationist, and we're going to see we're seeing it very clearly laid out here. Yes, we're also seeing laid out that we want to you know, work the Republican metaphor. That he's not really thinking things through when it comes to these plans. <laughs> this is not a political uh, podcast. No, not at all. <laughs> um, but we have it clearly set out that you know unicorns are magical creatures that are. Very powerful, very fleet, have incredibly uh, incredibly valuable blood that no one would ever touch just due to its aura of purity inherently renders you to like a half-life, dark kind of state. We also have Hagrid say that he's never even heard of one being hurt before. Except for the past couple of weeks, which has been happening regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now he's seen one die last Wednesday. And there's another one that's apparently hurt. So, never having hurt one before, now there's possibly two dead inside of a week. This seems like it would be bigger news. This seems like something you'd want Dumbledore to know about immediately, and they need a full team going in this woods. On the other hand, Hagrid just kind of flippantly says, eh, there's nothing in this wood that would in any way ever pose the threat to either myself or Fang. Oh, side note, I have no concept whatsoever that could even hurt a unicorn, but we're fine. Let's go in. Nothing could possibly hurt us. This really screams like a Hagrid plan that Hagrid just kind of told the university, oh, you got kids being punished? I could use some help this this evening. And didn't bother to really tell anybody what was going on. But yeah, this should have made the newsletter. This should (laughs) have, the faculty itself should be investigating this issue because this sounds like a really big damn deal that they had all the signs for to know was a really big damn deal. I mean, people have gotten a number of text alerts about incidents on campus um, if this were written more modernly. Yeah, I almost feel like that, you know, McGonagall ensured that whatever student newspaper ran with, there were four students past curfew, and the lead about two unicorns died in the last week was kind of buried as a result of that. Fake news. Uh, eh. Let's see here. Last, a couple things I got. Uh, one, I think J.K. Rowling does a really good job of making centaurs appear especially alien really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with even just the description of Ronan's voice as being this just constantly deep, morose kind of removed from the moment experience. With all of them always staring up the sky with, the, with their very style of uh, life really built around we cannot set ourselves against the heavens. They have a definite sense of the Fae attached to them, which is nice to have that really brought out quickly. And it's also nice to see that even people that interact with humanity are still very foreign to them. Uh, Well, it's kind of also just like a show that they put on. Yes and no. Because they browbeat friends as well when he seems to be moving against their code of ethics. It's not like it's necessarily built into them that they have to be this way, but they apparently have a very strong cultural value built around fate and forced fate and interpretation of it and their unwillingness to interfere i guess i'm saying the like being weird towards the humans that they interact with is just something that they've decided to do but isn't like in foreign in their nature culture can be as much nature as something that's ingrained and i will say just as a as a side note we get more centaurs later um and we get a little bit of a sense of what we might not get exact answers on sort of what is in, ingrained in sort of what centers are versus what is a, a cultural manifestation of what they are. Um, but we do get, I think, a little more nuance into that difference. Okay. Well, last thing I'll drop is that Friends very casually revealed in this chapter that he is remarkably well-informed. Mm-hmm. That 
He just kind of casually references, oh yeah, that secret thing that none of the students know about that really only the very upper crust professors and, say, Hagrid know is now at Hogwarts? Yeah, I totally know that's there. I also totally know that Voldemort is here. I pretty much have a wide array of knowledge on all things that are relevant to this plot, and if only the other centaurs and Hagrid hadn't interrupted me, you might know a lot more. Well, also, we know that the centaurs interact with Hagrid, and Hagrid tells everybody everything until somebody tells him not to. This is one of my three interpretations of what to make of this. (laughs) A, Hagrid just has loose lips. B, uh, apparently astrology magic may be a lot stronger than than, than, uh, they've been led to realize inside of the university. Or C, uh, there is a a source at the university that is purposely leaking information to the centaurs under expectation of what may be in the woods and wants to keep them informed. Or D, all of the above. Well, I think there's the there's above. also a D of, like, clearly nefarious shit is happening in the forest, and the centaurs mm-hmm. have a, a deep understanding of what is going on in the forest, but are not naturally inclined to talk to it, talk about it to anyone outside of themselves. I'm with you on that, but I don't think that naturally leads to the conclusion the Sorcerer's Stone is being stored at Hogwarts. That's, no, that's Bad. fair. That is, that is the point that someone had to have leaked that at some point, mm-hmm. or the stars had to have leaked that at some point. We need to release the name of this leaker. (laughs) The whistleblower. (laughs) Who's the whistleblower? Man, we are going political with this one. Uh, So, yeah, that's what I got for Newbie's Notes. I will save the next, like, five things I have for questions to grill Sarah with. Okay. Uh, And, yeah, back to you, I think, for uh, house House points. points. Yes, I have very clear house points in this this chapter. Um, And I'm actually going to start with the loser, because I think that this is fairly obvious uh neville gets the shit kicked out of him in this chapter (laughs) in terms of actually losing house points when he did not really deserve to um Mm -hmm. as well as the kind of emotional just stuffing that he takes um of being told that harry and hermione had 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 this plot that they didn't include him on um and that he got caught in the crossfire uh I don't think that there is a single person in this chapter that has been more beat up on than Neville is. Oh, yeah. Throw on top of that that he has to go into the Forbidden Forest, which I'm sure for all of those present, for him in particular, this is the worst possible hell that he can imagine. And then he has to go with Malfoy. That, too. (laughs) That, yeah, he had a rough day. uh, And it was a rough day of when it all started when he tried to do the right thing and be brave in doing it. Yes. He, t- he, he knew his friends might be in trouble. He knew that Malfoy might spring a trap. And he purposely, overcoming his fears, went to go warn them. Which Harry realizes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no good, de- no good deed goes unpunished for poor uh, Neville this chapter. Yes. Um, so, clear loser of the chapter. I The winner is a little a little bit more opaque, but I am going to award it to Ferenz. Um, for his acts of bravery, for the information that he has that he gives Harry, for his defiance of the centaur code. I think that I like he's, a good, he's a good centaur. He's yeah. a good or he's centaur. a bad centaur, and he is a good friend yes. to wizarding kind. He's a good I bet. I bet. person. Yeah, a, a, and a useful driver of the plot. Because yes. it's always nice to have a character that knows a lot of shit start to reveal at least some elements of it. It seems like this would be one of the characters that if they can sneak back into the Forbidden Forest, because at this point, Gry- Gryffindor's going to lose anyway, what does a few extra points matter? This would be a good guy to find and talk to, because he apparently knows a lot more that would be useful. And he doesn't have any of the any of the baggage 
that Hagrid might have of telling Harry what unicorn blood actually means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd also maybe put as a potential uh, runner-up, I agree friends should win the chapter, but it was also was just delightful to, for me to see what power Hagrid still practically has yes. over a character like Malfoy. Yes. Because mm-hmm. when Malfoy tries to basically tell him, I'll call my dad, Hagrid, within a second, goes, do it, you'll be expelled, we'll see how much he cares at that point. And Malfoy shuts up quick for how much he's been just making fun of Hagrid nonstop for the other chapters. That's absolutely so. true, yep. Um, I feel like that that's very much a, a Malfoy and maybe people like that in general, when you sort of call them on their BS, mm-hmm. they kind of deflate. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so so questions, if yeah. we're at that point um my first question is why didn't you say that filch was a winner because i feel like he was one of the people that won um but we hate filch so that's fine um, i feel like filch won the last chapter yeah um but but and he continues. didn't get to hang people by their wrists from his dungeon yeah so office, i was so. gonna ask about that mm-hmm. But I, w- I was just going to ask about that and say, let's just not talk about that because um, it's a little yellow wallpaper. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's also a little bit of an alternative history. Like, I don't know that that happened. I think that that was always yeah. his fantasy in the world. I would, I would presume so. <laughs> um, I guess something else that, that, again, just a point out, but not really a question. Um, there's this lovely, like, if something happens send up green sparks you know if you find the unicorn and if there's a problem send up red sparks and we'll come find you Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's the if it's green sparks meh we'll find you eventually (laughs) like we're gonna do our own stuff for like you know a couple of hours just like hang out well maybe there's another unicorn i don't know (laughs) right um and and i just feel like that that's just like a really funny way of going about (laughs) what they're trying to do in this forbidden forest. I feel like all of the planning that went into that was probably not the best idea. Um, We're back the, to Hagrid again, I think. Yes. Um, so the, the actual question um, that, that I have, which is much more to tease Spencer. Um, oh, what else is new? Go so, on. So there's a, a primary question, which is, I actually don't know, like how much does the, is the forbidden forest like really forbidden? Like how much of this is just like, hogwarts grounds how much of this is is like why is it here Mm -hmm. and then the second half of the question is do we see these centaurs participate in interesting events late in the series or is that centaurs in general without the specific ones that we meet um so those are both good questions my understanding we don't get a lot of explanation on kind of the the scope of the forbidden forest we mm-hmm. encounter it in a variety of other places and means throughout the series. And the I think the overriding impression that I get is that it is mostly, I suppose, within the grounds of Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. But it is, it's extensive. Yeah. And, so is it kind of yeah. like a sketchy at night kind of thing or all the time? No, it's pretty sketchy all the time. Okay. I was going to um, say, so is it kind of like the forest paths at UNC where it, like, it gets sketchy at night? Because <laughs> oh, Battle Park are when you're going or, to Gimgul Castle. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think my impression is that it's it's sort of sketchy all the time, although we really only mostly see it at 
night. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... So I think that it serves... The reason that it is part of the Hogwarts grounds is a sort of dual function. And we see both of them to greater or lesser extent throughout the series. So one of the functions is that, um, like, Hagrid is the person who goes, who really goes in there, kind of ever. Um, But there are interesting magical creatures um, and plants and all kinds of things that occur in there that are useful to a magical place like Hogwarts. Um, okay. That needs mm-hmm. to harvest those in some way, right? Yeah. So um, it might have been or think like about the them or study them. Forest was yeah. there, yeah. and it was like highly magical and useful things, yes. and so Hogwarts was just like, hey, yes, this is a good place to be. Yes, and that that point kind of leads into the second function that I see it playing, which is as a sort of buffer ground to mm-hmm. Hogwarts itself. Yeah, like um, Muggles might get lost in there, yes. like a la Bermuda yes. Triangle. Mm-hmm. And so there are all kinds of different enchantments and curses and spells around Hogwarts that keep muggles from coming in there. There are some that make it look like um, a highly dangerous ruined castle to muggles to stop them (laughs) from going in. But I would imagine that a dense and expansive forest around it would also serve as a deterrent in a lot of ways. So quick follow-up. Is there a, um, like island's med school version of hogwarts in the bermuda triangle like Um, if you don't quite make it but your family has a lot of money and you can just sort of pay a bunch of money to become a wizard oh that's it that's a really good question i'm not sure there are a variety of other wizard schools as as we have talked about but i feel like the only things i know about are either elite wizard schools um in the united states in france in Russia-ish <laughs> and in the United Kingdom or kind of for-profit mail-order courses <laughs> which are, are real. They're called Quick Spell. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> it is a very sort of multi-level marketing kind of thing in the world. Um, but I'm not sure. It, this is this is actually BJ. You get at one of the kind of like major questions that I have about how wizarding education works, mm-hmm. because we encounter a lot of witches and wizards. Given your our conversations about kind of the economy of how the wizarding world works, we encounter a lot of witches and wizards who are essentially in service industries, um, and who are very competent at at least the magic that they have to do in their day to day basis. Um, in their places of employment. But it has always seemed a little weird to me that they necessarily had to go to Hogwarts to do that. So there's like an ITT tech. I don't know. Yeah. Like the wizarding world where... It feels like there has to be some sort of intermediary level. Mm Mm-hmm. Trade school. Yeah. Uh, We never get any evidence of that, but my intuition has been that there has always had to be, be a sort of like... A, a, a trade school or, or something like that. Cool. Like, um, I'll let Spencer okay. go, and then I'll remind you of my follow-up question. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, focusing on, it seems like we're talking a lot about the Forbidden Forest. Um, first question for me, does the centaur population reside within the Forbidden Forest, or do they just range in it the same way that Hagrid does? As far as we know, the centaur population that we deal with lives in the Forbidden Forest. 
which again provides further evidence just how massive the Forbidden Forest must be. Yep. That a just the sheer fact that a, unicorns strike me as being you know top of the top of the various trophic levels kind of creature, um, and two of them being killed has apparently not eradicated the entire population of unicorns in the Forbidden Forest. Mm-hmm. Between that and centaurs residing there, and talk of werewolves and countless other things. This thing seems like it far outstrips whatever grounds of Hogwarts could be. Yes. That it is some primeval, not ever fully mapped kind of thing that just extends through almost magical means out as far as you can ever possibly imagine. Well, I feel like like we, as as a society, like we already have our concept of unicorns, but I also feel like you could get the same exact thing and have a less expansive imagining of the forbidden forest if you replaced unicorn with puppy <laughs> well i will what <laughs> <laughs> i was i was gonna run past that spencer <laughs> well so if they're just if they're more of like a delicate animal and the things don't attack unicorns because they're special and pure rather than they're like mighty beasts you know a la like th white or something mm-hmm. then yeah like not having heard of some like something attacking them or someone killing them and that being super weird is a ve- has a very different spin to it i wasn't necessarily talking about degree of power i was more suggesting n- amount of numbers where i wasn't su- thinking that there was going to be a unicorn on every block kind of scenario <laughs> in the uh, forbidden forest well, and there certainly isn't, but I think that we we get from Hagrid either in this chapter or in other other instances, um, we get the idea that there is a particular herd of unicorns in the Forbidden Forest that he has perhaps, in his sort of conservationist vein, been doing work around the margins to encourage their populations. I mean, they I do can... need to harvest hairs from Off of them their tails, for yep. wands. So, and and their horns are used for interesting things as well. So this is kind of like a shark fin soup thing. <sighs> Hoping they grow them back. <laughs> or maybe they're harvesting them post mortem. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ruin anyway. my dreams. <laughs> I, I, I'm more gonna go with an idea of that Hagrid has rendered them kind of semi tame at this point, and so can draw what he needs to from them without them, you know, murdering him the way that unicorns typically would do in mythology. Um, Follow-up question. Hmm. Follow-up question. his conversation with McGonagall. Anyway, sorry, Spencer. Not not just conversations. Um, This is something I still don't fully get, Mm -hmm. but where it is suggested that the magical world is, in effect, in our world, but muggles just don't notice it or are blocked off from noticing it. Is that accurate in terms of how this works is hogwarts essentially in britain but it is shielded from muggle eyes in some way mm-hmm. yeah no so this is a this is a totally fair question um the hogwarts is in scotland it is in the wilds of scotland which mm-hmm. is already a relatively wild country um yeah. and least populated area in europe exactly and i think that that's part of the reason that they have ch- chosen to and I mean, they slash J.K. Rowling has chosen to locate um, Hogwarts here, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it makes a little more sense in the context of the question that you're asking. So it is located somewhere in the wilds of Scotland, but it is also, it is protected by many myriad powerful magical spells. Um, does this 
does the same extend to the Forbidden Forest as well, and things like that, of where if any muggle stumbled across this, the the game would be up. There's just yes. too much magic at play here. I think so. I mean, I but so. if it's Men in Black style, where they just flashy thing them, I mean... Yeah. It, it, that's what they suggest the Ministry of Magic is doing, but I have to imagine there's some kind of built-in wards or built-in, you know, obscuring devices, because there's a lot of muggles in the world now. The population has gone up since, you know, a lot of these methods were probably in place. So it seems like it would be a lot of effort to have to go out and flashy thing every single muggle. Right. Just, happens to walk across a ridge and oh shit there's a werewolf and so what we what we learn in a a concentrated discussion of how this type of thing works around a different site in a later book uh that then extends to hogwarts and how this works is that there are there are a variety of different spells and enchantments that you can use around an area that might um keep muggles from knowing that you exist right and so they, they take on different forms and have different effects. There are certain spells that um, will cause you to, as I mentioned, kind of see a ruin as opposed to an actual castle with a lot of, like, keep out trespassing, no trespassing signs around them. Um, mm-hmm. There are spells that will cause muggles to, once they reach a certain perimeter around the castle, to kind of lose their train of thought and move off to something else. Mm. Um, and I think that for Hogwarts, those are the two, at least as far as I know, and I think as far as we know in the books, those are the two main kind of spells that just deflect muggles from entering the territory in the first place because it becomes infinitely more complicated if muggles actually start asking real questions about a space. Yeah. There also seems to be some suggestion in the books that muggles in the Harry Potter world kind of fall into a bit of a uh, Dursley mindset of where they just don't want to see it. That they're so much built around their world that they've got no concept of seeing the magical stuff. Yeah, we are not in an X-Files I want to believe situation. Um, No. We are in a willfully ignorant situation. Right. Where imagination is in some ways a product of the magical world that humanity is being deprived of. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, BJ, you want to do your follow-up? Because I think I, I can limit myself to one more question from here. Uh, sure. So the centaurs that we meet, mm-hmm. um, do they make a reappearance at some later point in time doing some very interesting things and playing a more major role in the story later in the books? Yes, that was your follow-up question, BJ. And yes, mm-hmm. they do. <laughs> cool. You guys are using that tone again. Well, um, I'm partially using that tone because BJ is referring to an interpretation of future events that I choose to believe is not fair. Um, but I will say that we also get we also get appearances and concentrated appearances of a particular centaur who was introduced in this chapter that is working in very particular ways with Hogwarts itself. I will leave you to determine which of the three centaurs that might be. I, I have a guess. <laughs> I think they've been pretty d- differentiated pretty effectively to give me grounds to assume who that might be. It's the one with but, the mask. <laughs> you know, when you guys start using that tone, you, you ever ever been in a situation where you ask like a five-year-old a question that's like four levels above their grade level, and they just kind of get that little starry-eyed look of confusion? I just start getting that on my face whenever you guys start using that tone about what future events are going to bring. It's it. 
I have no frame of reference to know whether ju- they're just fucking with me right now. And that uh, that face that you produce, Spencer, uh, translates really well to an audio format. Thank you, I try. <laughs> All right, uh, last question for me. I got to go back to Goblin Rebellions. Um, <laughs> there is, from you guys and Melson's test, there is a strong implication that there are a lot of other sentient races in this world. It seems like a trope of fantasy settings that unlike in our real world, we only have one that uh, clearly sentient race. In fantasy settings, there are many. We had added centaurs, this, this chapter, what was uh, our current list. There is an implication that at least two of them are being seriously repressed to the point that you guys compared one set to slavery, and we have another one that apparently feels the need to conduct not one, but maybe many, given the plural use of rebellions in the past, over the issue, presumably, of their treatment. Is there a lot of underlying implications in this book that the magical world is outright oppressive? Or is that just something that can be interpreted, you know, is that something that's ever directly stated, or is it just something that can be subject to interpretation? It's outright stated. Okay. Um, and uh, it is the subject, it is it, it is at least a subplot in many of the other books. That I'm going to be very interested to see that, because mm-hmm. I don't expect that of a children's fantasy book, to go into issues of the fundamental unfairness of this magical fantasy setting that every kid wants to be a part of. No, it is, um, it is very clear that there are, there are questions and debates around what counts as, um, what or who counts as a worthy of yielding, wielding specific types of magic, um, and, and sort of counting in magical governmental systems. Kudos, I'm looking forward to it. If I get, you know, an I'm Spartacus Goblin moment, I'll just be very happy. We'll see what, <laughs> we'll see what occurs. Any more questions right. you all have? Uh, many, many more, but I think in, in deference to, to time and our listeners and all those other things, I feel like we should say that the next chapter, chapter 16, is Through the Trap Door. Guys, we and... only have two more chapters in this book. Shut up, really? Yeah. That's impressive, because they're if they're evenly distributed, they're 10% of the book each. Yeah, and we had a good 5% in the chapter we just read, so... <laughs> Yeah, that, that's oh. uh, fairly impressive. The next chapter is the longest one we've read yet. That may help a bit. Yeah. Yes, that's true, and a lot, um, a lot happens, and I am. We'll give you three minutes. Thank you. I'm going to take all of them. <laughs> we are generous gods. <laughs> um, uh, my, another... me, centaur underling appreciates you. <laughs> <laughs> Mars is bright today. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so for, this, uh, yeah, joining us. Yeah, thank you for joining us on this um, longest of all of the chapters that we have done, longest time-wise, and we will see you next time. All right.